is available to all believers if we just believe and trust God. And even if you have prayed previously, I, I encourage you, and I've said that many, many times, don't give up. Just trust God. Stand on the Word of God. Believe. Confess with your mouth. Just the same way for salvation. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Are y'all with me out there? And so I want you, even if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, number one, I want to help you by encouraging you instructionally to the degree that perhaps a spark can be placed inside your heart that will make you want to desire this for your life. That's a good thing. But number two, I want to also, though, help validate this experience in your mind so that it's uh, lesser controversial and you have greater understanding because typically this is what Pentecostals get judged by. Is that right? Now, in days gone by, when the Pentecostal church was birthed out of the holiness movement, when there was a certain look to many uh, uh, believers in the, in the Pentecostal holiness church, we were judged by attire. But that's kind of drifted away. Good or bad, we'll argue that out at a later date and time. But still to this day, we're typically judged by other believers based upon the fact that we believe in speaking in other tongues. And you're going to have, you're going to have conversation with this. People are going to ask you. And if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, maybe you can adequately explain a measure of it to someone who is inquiring. But if you're not, maybe you don't. Maybe you've never really studied it out deeply enough, and you're kind of at a loss. And I don't want that to be the case because the enemy will come in, even through somebody that's a godly person and a good person, but that doesn't believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit in, this, uh, in receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he'll plant doubt in your mind and until you look up and you're doubting uh, the, the actual validity of this experience of people that you know and believe and you used to trust that they really had a genuine baptism and now you're questioning. I shared with you a video last week about uh, John Osteen, Joel Osteen's father, testifying of when he received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if you remember his words, though, he said he, said he used to see it in the Word of God and he would long for it in his heart and he would say, God, there's got to be something. He said, but every time he did, he said, a thousand voices of every professor from all of those years of seminary would go off in his mind saying, not so, not so. And it'll be the same for you unless you know what the Word of God says. And I'm telling you, the person that's got two, uh, has a twofold strength of position. Number one, if you've got knowledge... Right? That's the thing that I can help give you today. Now, it will be only to a certain depth. You've got to study this out on your own. But that strengthens you in one position, correct? But then those of you that's got the other called experience, if you've got knowledge and experience, you can stand in the face of blatant unbelief and say, I, you can't take this out of my heart. I don't care what you call me, fanatic, heretic, uh, unbeliever. I don't care. I know. My spirit's testified in my spirit. But see, I don't base it just upon my experience. I base it upon my understanding of the Word of God coupled with my experience. And if I have to lesser or diminish one or the other, I'm going to diminish my experience and I'm going to stand on the truth of the Word of God. Because experiences can vary, but the truth of the Word of God ought to be the same. 
So I've been talking about, and over the latter couple of weeks, and I'm going even into Wednesday nights, I always try to differentiate between the regenerate spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I can't go back and cycle that through today. I did that last Sunday just a little bit. But today, before I even go through a brief recap uh, as it was related to the teaching on understanding and the power of speaking in other tongues, I want to make sure that I'm doing something for a brief moment and distinguishing between what's defined in Pentecostalism as the initial physical evidence. The initial physical evidence versus the gift of tongues. Because when I speak today primarily about speaking in other tongues, I use it generally. But I'm not as much referencing the gift of tongues that's used or exercised in a public setting for the edification of the body that is equivalent to prophecy. Let me tell you where it starts at. It starts primarily in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Now, I know the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes to us in the book of Acts. When we see this phrase in Acts chapter number 1, we see it repeated in Acts chapter number 10. Jesus told his disciples, you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Peter, when he is preached at Cornelius' house, remembered the words of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit falls upon the family members of Cornelius, he said, I remember what Jesus said. So this term, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Pentecostal doctrine has been developed around it, and we call it this. We call it the initial physical evidence. The physical evidence that one is baptized in the Holy Spirit is that they will speak with other tongues. Now, not every uh, branch of Pentecostalism holds to that doctrine. There's a divisiveness, and it's not as contentious as it once was. But if you've ever taken the time to go back and read the history of the modern Pentecostal movement, then you'll know that as denominations began to be formed and as doctrine began to be uh, solidified, not everybody believed. Let me give you one example. One of the key members of the founding of the Assemblies of God, one of the the key leaders of the Assemblies of God, F.F. Bosworth. If you go to the website of the Assemblies of God or something, the archives, and you look up a picture of the original convening council with the original elective leaders and presbyters seated amongst those men is one by the name of F.F. Bosworth, and he was used mighty in the gift of healing, miraculous gifts, and baptisms in the Holy Spirit. But a couple of years after that original convening council of the Assemblies of God, he began, to, uh, he began to drift away from the doctrine that the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues, uh, or that speaking in other tongues was the initial physical evidence, but rather that it could be marked, the baptism could be marked by other gifts, such as prophecy or, or a deeper unction or perhaps prayer, something of that nature. And so uh, the reason why I'm telling you that is not everybody has believed it. Not everybody's believed the doctrine, but the assemblies of God for over 100 years has held strong to this position. That if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, that the way that you're going to be able to identify, that's why it's called the initial physical evidence. It's the tangible evidence. And that doctrine was found in the book of Acts five times. I've shared this multiple times. There's five recorded instances in the book of Acts where the uh, apostles or others received or were a part of praying for people to receive the baptism. And the Bible plainly says three times that those individuals, they spoke with other tongues. Two other accounts, it doesn't say that specifically, but it implies it. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter number 8, 
Philip, the evangelist, has gone to Samaria. Now remember, Samaritans are what they would call mongrels or half-Jews and half-Gentiles. So they were kind of held at bay by the Jews, but the Jews still at least believed to a degree in their heritage because they had at least a partial Jewish heritage. And so Philip's gone down there, and he's preached the gospel. There's miracles. They've baptized many in water. And uh, even a sorcerer by the name of Simon has heard, and he that too has been baptized. Whether or not he was genuinely converted or not, we shall have to argue that out at a later time. But the Bible says that when word got back to Jerusalem the, concerning that the Samaritans had received the word of God, that they determined to send Peter and John, two of Jesus' inner core, Peter, James, and John. Peter and John go down, and they go for a specific purpose. The specific purpose is to pray for the Samaritans to receive the Holy Ghost. The Bible uses that language in the book of Acts, to receive the Holy Ghost. And so because it says this, he had not yet fallen on any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. And so then the Bible says, but Peter and John prayed for them, and when he prayed for them, that the Spirit of God might come upon them. The Bible doesn't say that they spoke with other tongues, but here's what the, how we say it implies it. Simon the sorcerer saw something. He saw a visical, visible manifestation, a physical evidence of the apostles laying hands on someone and a response from the individual that, they, that Simon attempted to buy that power. He went to Peter. He said, Peter, he said, man, I'll give you this gold if you will give me that power. Y'all remember that story in the Word of God? Peter said, man, let that gold perish with you. He said, if that's your motive, God judge your motive. Now, the reason why I brought that up is because there's that instance and there's one other instance, and that's with the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus has had the vision of Jesus on the Damascus road. He's gone to Damascus now. He's blinded. He can't see. A man by the name of Ananias is sent by God to go and lay hands on Saul, who would later become Paul, that he might receive his sight. Here's what Ananias said, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says Ananias laid his hands on him, and immediately there were scales that fell off of his eyes. There's no record that Saul spoke with tongues. But Paul writes in his own words in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I thank God that I speak with tongues more than you all. So we know the apostle had an encounter with a physical manifestation. So that's what has solidified the doctrinal position of classical Pentecostals for a hundred plus years that if you're going to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, then you're going to speak with other tongues. Does that make sense? Now again, I want to say this. Not everybody holds to that. But the assemblies of God, I've shared my own personal testimony. The reason why I'm comfortable talking about this today is that I was not raised within Pentecostalism. And so therefore, when I did receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I didn't rest on the laurels of what other people had taught me. Because I didn't have teaching. So I had to get in the Word of God for myself. And when I was young in ministry, I studied this out because I wanted my experience to be validated and empowered by the Word of God. I didn't want to just speak in tongues because, or say that I'd received the baptism because I heard other people do it. I wanted to be able to say, well, listen, this is what the Word of God says. And if anybody were to ever argue the point with me, I wanted to be able to go to the Word of God and say, well, listen, I believe in it because here's what the Word says. And so that's why I want to challenge you. In all you're getting, you've got to get understanding. 
And you've got to study to, to show yourself approved unto God. And you've got to work this out with fear and trembling. And you've got to know it. And you say, even though I said it last week, even though you may have not received. Let me say that. I'm trying to really distinguish in the right way and yet keep us all in unity and harmony today. You may have not received the baptism. You may not speak with other tongues. But you believe in it or you wouldn't be here today. Right? If you didn't believe in it, you would drive a mile around. 1,000 and now West Searcy Street. But no, you believe in it or you wouldn't have drifted this direction. And my job is to encourage you to the degree not to just believe in it, but to believe for it. Ah, I feel Jesus right there. Because I'm telling you, I believe a stirring happens both collectively and individually when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I've said this before, our doctrine is very diverse at our church. And as a pastor and these other pastors, we don't talk about this every time that you come together. Every time we come together, I'm not preaching to you about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But God forbid that I take something that so radically empowered the early church, so radically transformed the denominational church 110 years ago, and something that radically transformed my life 30 years ago, and that I would put it in a corner and fail to to instruct and teach the people that I love so to make sure that we're not dropping the baton. I'm telling you, me and JoJo and Shane, we feel that when we pray. There have been Pentecostal believers in this valley right here in Heber Springs for over 80 years. And they were ridiculed and they were ostracized, but they endured and they handed a baton off to us. A baton of the power of the Holy Spirit. And God forbid that we would be the generation that would run two steps and drop it and not pass it to the generation that's coming. God forbid. Let's not be that people. Well, in order to not be that people, we got to make room for it. we got to talk about it unashamedly. And we got to teach others about it because if I teach you about it, I believe that that creates faith. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the initial physical evidence is tr primarily traced in the book of Acts. But we find the usage of the term, the gift of tongues, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And here's one of the challenges to us that we have to try to distinguish uh, in our minds. And that is, there is a difference between the gift of tongues that edifies the corporate body and what we call, and I say that it's not a biblical term, but we have uh, evolved to use it this way, the prayer language. The prayer language is the baptism in the Holy Spirit continued in operation in the life of the individual. Now, many uh, books have been written about it, and one of my favorite books is an old book published by Gospel Publishing House back in the 1940s, and there's a chapter in there that talks about the distinguishing between tongues, uh, the gift of tongues, and the initial physical evidence, and there's another chapter that says this, it's the same in, you, in, in essence, but it's different in purpose. Let me say that again. It's the same in essence, the baptism and the evidence it's the same in essence as the gift in tongues, but the gift of tongues, but it has a different purpose behind it. I want you to think about many things in the natural that have different purposes behind them. Number one, I'll give you this example. We could take a, a knife, could we not? And we could take that knife and we could go to lunch and we could sit down and we could use that knife to carve a nice T-bone steak. Come on, somebody, amen? Y'all feel that right there? That's a shot that guy at Mosia moment right there. So you could. 
or to raise money for the youth group, we could bring JoJo up on the stage, set him right there, and we could get Shane down here with 20 knives, and he could throw them as a silhouette around JoJo all the way around. Now, it'd be the same knife, but it'd have a different purpose behind it. Does that make sense? I know that's silly. Speaking in other tongues, we use the same terminology. The baptism in the Holy Spirit and the initial physical evidence is the same in essence as the gift of tongues, but has a different purpose. So we, what we arrive at at the conclusion is we arrive at that there's a private usage of tongues and a public usage of tongues. Paul said the public usage of tongues must be accompanied by interpretation to make it equivalent to another gift called prophecy. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. That's 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, but verse number 3 says, He that prophesieth speaketh not unto God, but unto men, unto edification, exhortation, and comfort. But Paul brings the gift of tongues with interpretation and makes them equal to one another. So prophecy is the prophetic utterance of me ministering. So if I had uh, Aaron and Chelsea here and they were standing in front of me, I could minister to them and God could bubble up a word in my spirit. And I could prophesy to them in my own language. And I could prophesy. And many of you, have you ever been prophesied over Somebody, can you raise your hand up? That's a good place. They say, somebody spoke a prophetic word in my life, and they spoke an edification, exhortation, and comfort. But then the gift of tongues, we can also see somebody speak in tongues and then interpret that, and when they interpret it, that word is equivalent to prophecy. Does that make sense? That's the public usage of it. And many times in the Bible, I, I, I've, got them, I've got the whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, in the, in the computer today because I didn't give them specific verses because I didn't know exactly where I was going with it. But in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is primarily giving instruction about the misuse of the gift of tongues in the Corinthian congregation. It's obvious by the context that they were abusing the gift of tongues. Let me go a little bit farther. It seems as if that whenever the church came together in a corporate setting, and it was the time of instruction like I'm giving you now, that when the pastor or the teachers began to preach or teach, then that did not, the people that spoke in tongues did not cease. So they would continue speaking in other tongues, and there was mass pandemonium in that sense and the apostle Paul uses strong language he even said in a, a later place of scripture there in in uh, let's go speak it up about the let me see the 23rd verse he said if the whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers will they not say that you are mad and they're not talking about angry here they're talking about confused, crazy, out of your mind. That's what the Bible says. So Paul is saying at the time, and I believe that it's possible that more than one person can speak in tongues simultaneously if it's born out of an altar experience of worship and prayer. But if it's at the time of instruction, what do I mean by the time of instruction? Paul said earlier, he said, if I come to you, sixth verse, 
you have to keep your Bible open. I don't know if they'll be able to go back and forth with me. He said, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you by revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or doctrine? So if, all I, if I come to you at a time of instruction, the only way that I can edify your life is if I speak to you by prophetic word, by instruction, or by divine revelation, or by doctrine, something I've studied out previously. If all I do is stand up here and speak in other tongues, then it doesn't edify the congregation. It only edifies the congregation when an interpretation is added to it that produces the understanding. Does that make sense? And so we have to understand that the gift of tongues is deeply valued. Now, unfortunately, we don't see it exercised as much in the modern Pentecostal movement as we did historically in the early days of Pentecostalism. And we could give out various reasons why uh, and talk about that at a later date and time. But my instruction is, as I want to show you that the Apostle Paul in his teaching is addressing the public usage of tongues, but in the middle of that is revelation for us that exercise it privately. Because you've got to see how it's going to edify you privately. If you don't see how it's going to edify you privately, then you may never pursue it by faith in God. Does that make sense? Now, the private exhortation of tongues is where I spent last week, and that's where I'm going to go ahead and pick it up real quickly. Number one, I said, you will do it. Do y'all remember that? I said, you got to do it. Jace made a great point a while ago. The Holy Spirit comes on you, but he doesn't speak words for you. Come on, you got to speak it out. That's, you'll hear people speak it out. You have to speak it out. They sang on the stage a moment ago. God didn't sing for them. They sang as a result of the Spirit of God prompting them to worship the Lord. And so you have to do it. Number two, I said your understanding is unfruitful. That's what Paul said. Paul said, my understanding is unfruitful. When I pray in the Spirit, how many say, I don't understand what I'm saying. Right? My understanding is unfruitful. And you have to accept that fact. Let me say that again. You have to accept the fact that you're speaking out something in a prayer language to God and that as you do so, your mind is not comprehending what you're saying. You're not rationalizing it. You're not sitting there speaking it out going, yeah, that sounds good. That's right. That's right. No, that's good. No, yeah, no. No, you're not doing that. You're trusting that the Bible says there are so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification or meaning. You're trusting that the Spirit has searched all things, even the deep things of God, and is praying through you the perfect will of God. Man, you're trusting it's a walk of faith. Let's go further. That's why my point was number three. I said, I will pray the will of God. That's powerful. Man, because the reality is if our prayers were all answered before God that we audibly uttered in our known languages, I'm telling you, our, our life would be chaotic because we've prayed many times out of a carnal mind. We've prayed many times about our own, our own will and not the Father's will, right? But the Spirit knows the Father's will, and He'll pray through you the perfect will of God. Number four, I'm edified. What does that mean? I showed you the text last week. I can't take you there for the sake of time now, but it means you're built up means you're built up in the spirit. I talk to you all the time. You're a spirit being. 
Come on, this carnal man is dying. Come on, as you age, your strength diminishes. Come on, I pastor a multi-generational church. Alyssa leaned over and said, young at heart, Dad. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm 49 years old. I'm only there because her mama has been invited. I know I'll pay for that later. Are y'all with me? <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that. That's funny, but it's not edifying. It builds you up. It builds you up. Praying in the Spirit builds you up. The reason I said I know where I was going, I said I'm a multi-generational church. And so I see people age. I even, yes, I must have been see myself age. And we're not as physically strong as we once were. But how many know as you age, you can be stronger in the Lord than you've ever been in your life? Your faith can be stronger in God, and your zeal and your passion for God can be greater. It does not have to diminish your zeal and your passion for God. Because if you stay edified, built up by praying in the Spirit. And I closed off last week with number five. I declare the mysteries of God, which is what Paul said. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. How be it in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. A mystery is the hidden wisdom of God that's now being revealed. Man, that's powerful. I'm going to close by sharing with with you today some brief points to just encourage you today. When you pray in the Spirit, number six, I want you to know this. You can interpret it. Did y'all know that? The same way that an interpretation, let me clarify, interpretation and translation are two different things. This is not a translation word for word. This is an interpretation of what was spoken. Sometimes it's an exact translation, but it doesn't have to be. It can be like a prophetic image. A prophetic image could be one thing. You could look at something. Jeremiah went to the potter's house. He saw a potter sitting at a wheel, but that was not the meaning of it. There was something else. There was a prophetic revelation attached to that visual image. The visual image was an aged potter molding the clay, but the prophetic word was God said that if you'll just stay in my hands, I'll mold you and shape you. Does that make sense? And so when you speak in other tongues and you're praying the will of God, it's not necessarily a translation, but an interpretation. Here's what I found. Even when I use it on a private prayer language, I can pray in the Spirit for a while, and then when I transition into my known language and I'm praying, what I'm doing many times is I'm interpreting what I just prayed, and it's in the form oftentimes of prophetic word. A word of encouragement and exhortation for who? At that time, even for my own personal edification. Or a disclosing of the will of God that I just prayed. I didn't know how to pray in my natural mind. I didn't know how to pray in the natural thought process because I didn't understand the, the will of God concerning it. But when I prayed in the Spirit, the Spirit of God prayed the will of God through me. And then when I pray with my interpretation or I, I ask God to give me that interpretation, then I find out that I've angled my prayer a certain way and that produces edifying and it gives me a confidence that I'm praying the perfect will of God. So Paul said, if you speak in an unknown tongue in the public setting, pray that you may interpret. I believe also in private, pray that you may interpret. Does that make sense? To produce edification in your life. Number seven, I can speak to myself in tongues quietly and to God. Just because you speak in other tongues does not have to mean that you speak in tongues loudly. 
Though you may speak in tongues loudly. But I'm saying I can be in a service right here. Paul said this in the context of the public usage of tongues. He said if there's no interpreter present, he said, then you don't give a message in tongues or you don't speak in tongues. He said, but you do so quietly to yourself and to God. You pray quietly. to How many of you have ever, if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I mean, you've been in a situation where you're just kind of just under your breath. Are y'all with me out there? We're just praying quietly to yourself. Not just in a service. How many can be just driving down the road? Just praying quietly to yourself. You can be like I was yesterday or two days ago on the tractor for just a little while. Saying, God, I'm just going to pray. My mind is distracted. I know my mind's distracted, but I'm going to trust. And, and so I can pray quietly to myself, and I'm doing so in the confidence. I'm praying the perfect will of God, and I'm worshiping God in the Spirit. Is that making sense to you all today? Showing you I'm valuing. There's only uh, ten, so that's number seven. As you can see, there's only three more. I love this one. I can give thanks to God in tongues. Isn't that powerful? I can give thanks. So, Pastor, what do you mean by that? In this passage here in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's using an analogy of, of speaking uh, words of understanding to people that are present. He said, if you bless with the Spirit, what does that mean? He's saying, if you're, I'll give you the context. He said, if you're gathered at a meal, there's family and friends around, and the time comes and they say, hey, uh, Jojo, would you go ahead and say, give thanks uh, for the Lord uh, for this meal? And Jojo begins to shataka mosia. And he goes through a complete discourse in speaking other tongues. Paul said this. He said, you gave thanks well, but the other is not edified. Now, we look at that. Those that do, uh, and they judge tongues in a negative sense, do so, and they do this. And they, and they say, well, see, that, that shows you again the misuse of it. And they never see the positive. Paul said, thou gavest thanks well. Does that, does that make sense to you? Thou gavest thanks well. So when I pray in the Spirit, aren't we exhorted by the Word of God and the authors of Scripture? Aren't we exhorted to give God thanks? Didn't Paul write to the, Corinthians, or to the Ephesians and say, in everything, give God thanks? Aren't we exhorted to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and to enter His courts with praise? And when you worship God in tongues, what a confidence to know that the Spirit of God is giving God thanks in your heart and life. You know what I think about God? I think that God is great and he is greatly to be praised. I thank that God today because every breath, in him I live, move, and have my very being. God deserves all the adoration, the glory, and the praise, and the exaltation that I can give him. And I am to offer unto him the fruit of thanksgiving, that is the sacrifice of praise, giving God thanks. And when I pray in the Spirit, I can rest assured that the Holy Spirit of God is lifting up, in essence, holy hands to God and thanking my Father for his great grace. That's enough reason right there to want to pursue after it. Number nine today, and I'm going to try to wrap this up and close. I don't know how long I preach, but i got to finish, people. It's right at noon. Speaking in tongues creates the prophetic flow that looses other spiritual gifts. How do we agitate the gifts of God? How do we stir them up? You've got to start somewhere. You've got to begin. I'm, what I have found is the, that once I receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I don't want to stop there. I found myself saying, God, give me, Paul said, earnestly desire the best gifts. Covet earnestly desire. I don't want to just have speaking in other tongues. I want to see the gift of healing at work in our church. I don't want to just have the gift of healing. I want to see the working of miracles and prophecies and discerning of spirits. Come on, the fullness of the Spirit of God. 
What I have found is that when we pray in the Spirit, we agitate. Come on, it stirs things up in our own lives and corporately. We've been prophesying collectively as a group. God's going to send a revival right here to Heber Springs. We believe that with all of our hearts. People have been praying for it, longing for it, crying out to God. Their spirit is agitated. And when you're praying in the spirit, you're agitating other gifts of God that are lying dormant in other people's life. And when that agitation takes place, it begins to awaken a gift in someone else. And it begins to loose the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we long for as a church family. We want the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. I'm telling you, our lives can be forever marked by the presence of spiritual gifts among us. God forbid, as a church family, that we try to rest any type of ministry effectiveness upon training or on uh, ecclesiastical studies. We do, try to do all that without the power of the Holy Spirit. Didn't the Word of God say, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. We need the miracle power of God among us. And the more people that are baptized in the Holy Spirit, the greater the potential for the other gifts to be in operation. And I close with this today. And my, I'll close and I'll, listen, I can shut it down and, and, and trust that, there's, that, that instruction is creating a key component in your life to encourage you to pursue these things on your own. Number 10 today, one I love, and I'll tell you what, the denominational world that doesn't believe misses a powerful point. Tongues are a sign to unbelievers. So what does that mean? Let's go there in closing. 1 Corinthians 14, right here. What does that mean? Verse number 22. Paul is teaching here. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying, the contrast between tongues and prophesying, serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. We'll talk about the effect of prophesying on another date, at another time. But I want to show you what God showed me many years ago. As I thought about this, tongues are a sign. What is that to the unbeliever? Tongues, what a sign is an indicator of the presence of something else. Now let's think about that. You're driving down a road and you see an orange sign. And the orange sign says bridge out. Now the sign is not the bridge out, but it's an indicator that the bridge is out. If you don't believe the sign, you just keep on going. And then you call the tow truck to come get you because you fall in the ditch. Does that make sense? A sign is it. And so tongues were a sign in that first generation, definitely. And they're still a sign today to a people group to, that needs to see that the power of God is working amongst another people group. Remember what happened in Acts chapter number 2? All those people were gathered there on the day of Pentecost, and they started speaking in other tongues. They said, how is that? Here's what it says, King James, what meaneth this? Well, I mean, it's not the, it's, these men are drunk with wine, some said. What is that? They're questioning. They're scratching their heads saying, is, what's going on? It's a sign, an indicator that perhaps God is at work. Does that make sense? 
He said it's an, a sign to unbelievers. So I, was rest, I saw this when I was pastoring at Shirley one time. And I'm telling you, this got all on me in that moment. And I'm closing with this right here. I believe that tongues then is a sign that becomes a defense mechanism to the ultimate unbeliever, which is a demonic spirit. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor Brown? I mean that when you pray in the spirit, how many of you have ever felt like your spirit was praying in a spiritual warfare? Come on, that you were exercising spiritual warfare. And though you were speaking in other tongues, you were binding demons and devils. I believe in that. Don't you believe in that? I believe in casting down strongholds. and You can sit back and be quiet and let the devil come in and rock your family if you want to, but not me. I've got power and anointing in my life, and I'm going to speak an authoritative word. And I believe when I pray in the Spirit... Here's what I believe. I believe uh, the Ephesians 3, verse 10. I remember when I saw that for the very first time. I think I was seated at my desk in Shirley, pastoring the church at Maranatha. Verse 10 of Ephesians 3 says, The church will make known to principalities and powers the wisdom of God. What does that mean? That means there are principalities and powers that are trying to steal, kill, and to destroy. They're trying to create schisms. They're trying to divide and conquer you and to conquer us. But it's our responsibility to speak and make known to them the manifold wisdom of God. That we know who we are in Christ. We know that the devil's been cast down to the earth. But the Bible says that we will tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means harm. I get tired of people saying all the time, the devil's give me a headache. The devil's beat me down. I came along to tell you, you get full of the Holy Ghost. You can give the devil a headache in Jesus' name, and you can have power over him. And I believe that when you're speaking in other tongues and you're praying, you're declaring to the devil as you pray to God, the devil's hearing, and he is being held at bay by the prophetic word that you're speaking in the tongues of angels. That's what I believe. I wrote it this way. I remember preaching a message years ago, first at Shirley, and then many years ago here at First Assembly. I chose not to bring them out today, but I remember when I preached that message. You know what? Sometimes when you're praying in the Spirit, think about signs that we have in our culture today. The first sign you think about is a stop sign. How many of you have ever said, I needed a word from God in my spirit that said, devil, Come on, in the name of Jesus, as I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm speaking a word to the devil saying, you know what, that's enough. I've had enough. I've heard enough. You beat me down, back me up in a corner one time too many. Enough is enough as you pray in the Spirit. What about this sign, no trespassing? Now, for some of you turkey hunters, that don't mean that much to you. But for other people, it means a lot more. No trespassing means you can come this far, but you can't go any farther. And I believe when I'm praying in the Spirit, I believe that I'm saying to demonic powers, you can go this far, but you can't go any farther because this is God's territory. Glory to God. Let's go one farther. Here's another one. Danger, high voltage. You can drive down here east of town or south of town, and there's the great you know, complex with all the power and, and the station, and there'll be a sign on the outside that says, Danger, high voltage. When I pray in the Spirit, that's what I'm telling the devil. You touch this. Come on. Virtue went out of Jesus, and a woman was healed. Power of God can go out of you and drive a devil away. Oh, I don't believe that, Pastor. Well, you know what? That's why you fail. 
But I'll go one farther than that. They took a handkerchief and wiped the Apostle Paul's brow. And they took that handkerchief and they laid it on the body of a person possessed by a demon spirit. And that spirit had to go because of the anointing of God in the body of the Apostle Paul. He didn't say anything, but something flowed out of him. Right? And so when you're praying in the spirit, I believe there's a prophetic word that can cast the devil away. Get thee behind me, Satan. Trespassers will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Glory to God. Man, I tell you, I could go on and on, but i got to wrap it up now. And I just want you to know, church family, oh, how we need this in our lives. How you need this. And as I close, and Aaron's joined me on the platform in closing today, and I've gone just past the 12 o'clock hour, and the challenge of the modern Pentecostal church I shared with you last week is, but what are we going to do with this thing? We can believe in it, but if we don't make room for it. A hundred years ago, Pentecostal church was birthed in power and fire. Sunday night services were given to the baptism and to preaching and teaching and laying. People come, and they would have service for hours. And now, you know what? I can spin on my head right there. I can spin, and I can have JoJo spin on his head. And Shane's singing over both of us. And a remnant is all that's going to come out on Sunday nights. What are we going to do with this thing, Mama Glow? How are we going to pass it on if people don't give us time? If you don't set your heart, if you don't set your mind, if you don't create the space for it in your life, you'll, be, you'll believe in it as it drifts right past you. That's what will happen. You've got to create the time. You have to. Search for it. Seek for the baptism. Pray. Pray. And trust the Lord. I can't preach about this every Sunday. I've got to move on. Next Sunday's Father's Day. I've got to talk to the men about some things in their lives. But I've challenged you for at least two, three weeks. And I've done it out of doctrinal position. You're not going to walk away today and say, man, our pastor didn't, he didn't show us in the Word. I did show you in the Word. Because 50% of what I was preaching a while ago, I might not have turned to the passage, but I've studied it out to the degree that I'm quoting it, even when I'm not preaching, when, even when I don't say, well, look here at 1 Corinthians 14 and call the verse out. I'm speaking it out. This is a validated doctrine held dearly by Pentecostal churches all over the known world. My purpose for doing this was at least threefold. Number one, if you have received the baptism, Continue in it. Come on, continue in it. Stir it up. Get along with God and pray in your heavenly language. Does that make sense today? Are y'all with me today? Come on, this is very important. Number two, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to always encourage you to receive. Seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. That's what the Word of God says. But thirdly, for those that have not received, I wanted you to be empowered doctrinally so that the enemy doesn't come and steal this out of your mind in unbelief. So that you could not argue this point with somebody. Even though you haven't received in it, you believe in it or you wouldn't be here today. So that's, that's a lot of diversity. That's a lot going on in one collective thing. Ultimately, it comes down to this right here. You have to set your heart 
and say, God, this is what I want for my life because I believe this is the will of God for my life. I can't dictate that for you. I can't dictate the will and the direction of your heart. All I can do is encourage you. I want to ask you all to stand up with me here today. All across the, can we just pray for a few moments? Hallelujah. For just a few moments here today, right where you're at, right where you're at. Man, I call you down to the altar time and time. When I know when I call you down to the altar, I shouldn't do it after I preach so long. So I'm going to just stay right here where you're at right now. I, I believe in the altar experience, believe in it greatly. Pass it on, lay hands on people, do all of that. Not trying to take away from it. But I shared with you last week, I received the baptism, kneeled down in my mom and dad's living room when I was 17 years old. Nobody was there to lay hands on me. But my heart had been set, and I was pursuing God. Let's take a moment and let's just pray right where we're at. Would you just pray? and Just say, God, in your own words, just desire the things of God. Just desire the things of God. I want to have a very special prayer, first of all, for this group of people right here. Right where you're at. It's going to be very uh, private. Nobody.